This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Help Wanted on Business Radio. Hello, you're listening to Help Wanted on Business Radio, where we talk about difficult work situations and how to deal with them. I'm your host, Jody Foster, and I'm a clinical professor of psychiatry and the assistant dean of professionalism at the Perelman School of Medicine here at the University of Pennsylvania and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Pennsylvania Hospital. And I'm here with my co-host, Sean Burke, associate general counsel and employment attorney at the University of Pennsylvania. Today, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome to the conversation our special returning guest, Matthew Pollard author of the new book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking, Work the Room, Leverage Social Media, Develop Powerful Connections. This book is the sequel to Matthew's international bestseller, The Introvert's Edge, How the Quiet and Shy Can Outsell Anyone. Matthew, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm ecstatic to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, we we, we are too. So what was the inspiration for the second book? The first one was, was you hit it out of the park. What, what, made you want to write another one? You know, I, th- I think there were two driving, well, well there's one driving reason that actually got me to, to, to do it because for those people that haven't heard our last interview, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. Writing books is not fun for me. I just, I really enjoy the effect that it has on other people. So I think the, the first book, I mean, I wrote a book on introverted sales or why, in fact, I believe introverts make better salespeople than extroverts. And while I was expected kind of expecting to get slammed for writing it because who would think that that's actually true what was interesting to see all these amazing introverted professionals come out and go I believe that too and by the way Zig Ziglar was an introvert Jeb Blunt was an introvert and it was crazy to see the level of support that book had but people then said well we're getting all these great sales now our closure rates are through the roof our sales cycles are so much shorter what we really need now is more leads and more professionals were coming to me and saying, well, I need to learn how to actually get in front of people because I know interviewing is like sales, but realistically, I need to learn how to get in the room with those people, get those opportunities. So there was a lot of drivers behind why the introvert's edge to networking made sense as a second book, but it was actually a kid in Buffalo, New York that made it the absolute necessity. It was this young boy who literally he, he lived with a hoodie on, never really spoke to people, looked at his shoes. And one of, one of my fans of the first book, uh, Craig Turner, left, left my first book on the coffee table at home. And this kid, Joel, picked it up. He was always interested in his, in his dad's business books. And he read the book cover to cover and decided, if Matthew can make sales a system, I can probably make friends through a system as well. So he actually took this book on selling, took it around with him at school for a month and started having you know, conversations with the popular kids. He's, there was then a girl in the picture, the hoodie's gone. You know, a couple of months later, he was now a popular kid. And it was all through extracting the idea that any so-called extroverted arena was easy as long as an introvert followed a system. And that was just like, okay, we need to do this. And, and that's why we moved forward with writing the book so much so quickly after the first one. That's fantastic. Um, if I remember correctly, you like to wear a hoodie. I remember that from our last interview. So I took it our- off just before this interview, actually. <laughs> you're, not, so you're not wearing one now, I see, but I did notice that one of your chapters is titled Networking Out of Your Hoodie. Yes, yeah, so there's, <laughs> well, there's so- a lot to that hoodie. 
Well, it's it's interesting. So I've actually had a couple of people that are fans of my work that have interviewed me wearing a hoodie, uh, just to to kind of like there's there are people saying that there needs to be an introvert's edge hoodie now because it's become this thing. But for me, you know, this is while. I, I would like to think everyone that's listening would say, okay, this guy's articulate. And maybe everyone that's, that's listening to this may be thinking, well, he can't be an introvert. I mean, think about it. He's, he's, he's articulate. He's got things to say. He's quick on his feet. Well, no, I'm just well-practiced. You know, I've got a system for being interviewed. You know, I, I follow a process. You know, my first few interviews, I practiced everything. When this book came out, I had to restructure my answers to fit this new book. And that is why I can come across. So in a lot of people's eyes, extroverted. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not actually behaving extroverted. I'm behaving introverted. I'm leveraging my introverted strengths. I think anybody that tries to behave extroverted that's an introvert will feel inauthentic and, and incongruent. But yeah, after this, you know, while I'm going to say I actually enjoyed our first interview a lot, and I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll enjoy this one just as much. Just like a kid at Disneyland, they enjoy the rides, but when they're done, they're tired and they want to go straight to bed. I have literally had time set aside to watch some boring show that will take no mental energy. I'm going to get out of this shirt and I'll put back on a hoodie and that'll be me for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. I have to say, I read the first, um, when, when I read the first chapter of your book and you described the, you know, the, it, the pain of networking as an introvert, and obviously um, you always help me get in touch with my own inner introversion as well, and Sean's, is, and, and Sean's too, but your description of the just sort of squirming in your chair pain of these networking engagements was so on point that I uh, honestly, I immediately purchased the book myself and I'm waiting, waiting for the full copy. And I can't <laughs> wait to read it cover to cover. I also want to say that uh, it's great to have you back, but it's also particularly great to, to, for the first time in a long time, not be just talking about the pandemic. That said, I have to ask you one question about the pandemic, which is, you know, how, what has the pandemic taught us in terms of how it's more important than ever to network and, and we're networking in a different way? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of people that felt like their jobs were safe and then all of a sudden they've lost this job during the pandemic and they're like, oh my gosh, I have no network. I, I, I can't get an easy job. And more than that, I can't run into a networking room and do that transactional thing, which we hate people doing, right? Would well, do you want to buy from me? Can you hire me? Can you hire me? Do you want to buy from me? No one wants to be that person, but they couldn't even do it. So that then led to them spamming people on LinkedIn to try and figure out how to, to, to get a job or to get a customer. And I think that's what we've seen. We've seen during the pandemic, all of a sudden that, you know, especially a lot of introverts that were just in that feast and famine of referral based business, the, the pandemic hit and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this outside a room that I don't even really want to be in. And then the extroverts are struggling the same way. They're like, oh my gosh, that safe job that I thought I had, now I need to, to go, but I, I can't get in front of anyone. So how do I do this? And I think that it all comes down to one thing. I've always said to people that if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest. And that's in a networking room that definitely shows because, you know, a lot of extroverts will do that transactional, you know, do you want to buy from me? Do you want to hire me kind of perspective? But that's because extroverts and introverts, we can't successfully articulate the value of what we provide when somebody's politely listening for two to three minutes, you know, face to face before they find the excuse to go to the restroom or the bar to get away from us. What chance do we have when we're online, when people give you half a second, maybe 30 seconds, if you doing some form of you know rapid fire virtual networking so i think it's really solidified 
for people that they have to learn how to articulate their value. They have to learn who their ideal employers are, who their ideal customers are. And then they've got to learn how to articulate their value in a way that excites and inspires people. So it, it, where they don't come across as a commodity, because these days, especially with the pandemic, we've learned we don't have to buy from, you know, Jody next door. We can buy from Sean, you know, over in, over in Australia because it's the same. So if it's cheaper, it's fine. Well, if it's cheaper, it's fine, does not work for anyone that wants to get paid well. So we have to learn to separate ourselves from the crowd. And so the pandemic has solidified all of this for us, that our jobs aren't safe, that our customers you know, aren't, aren't blue chip like we thought they were. We need to be smarter about getting in front of people and we need to get out of this price economy that most people think is such a great idea. We define ourselves by a functional skill when we're applying for a job or for business. And that's just got to come to an end, which is actually kind of the twist of my book, which I don't want to give away the punchline, Jody. So I've got to be really careful. But the whole goal of my book is to make people masterful inside the networking room so that they never have to go back to one unless they want to, because it takes all the strategies from face-to-face -face networking and then applies it to the virtual world. So let's get down to brass tacks then. What, what exactly does networking mean to you? And, and why, what, why is networking so important? Yeah, so I mean, firstly, I moved to the US in 2014. I didn't know anyone. Now, I think it's when you first, like in Australia, I was very successful. You know, I mean, my backstory is I built five multi-million dollar success stories from the ground up before I turned 30. And that was after being a horrible introvert, learning how to door-to-door -door sell through watching YouTube videos. So I actually had quite a successful network in Australia, but I'd spent a lifetime awkwardly fostering it. So when I came to the US, I had to start again. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't like the way most people network. Like the way I had to network in Australia was, okay, I was successful. I won the award and somebody would say, oh, hi, how are you? I'm so-and-so, and now I know this person. But in the US, no one knew who I was. My wife was more introverted than I was, so she wasn't introducing me to anyone. And I'm like, okay, I'm in this new city. No one knows who I was. And when I introduced myself, I started saying things like, people would ask me what I did, and I'd say, oh, I'm a sales trainer. And people would say, oh, I had a really bad experience with a sales trainer once. He was, I mean, I mean he was a scam artist, really. And now he's, they're looking at me like I'm one step above a scam artist. So then I, other people would ask me what I did and I'd say, I'm a marketing specialist. And then they'd be like, oh, I need marketing. How much do you cost? And what, now I've got to talk about price? We're at a networking event. How uncomfortable is that? So what I realized is that people either do that transactional thing where they just run from person to person, hoping through the numbers game, they get somebody that will actually talk to them about what they do, or they do what most introverts do and a lot of extroverts do, which is what I call aimless networking, where they have these high level shallow conversations with people because they feel like they've got to go to a networking event. And they really, they have these really high level conversations where somebody may ask them what they do and they either try not to talk about it because they don't want to be self-promotional or they end up in a coaching session, which basically means they opened up this fire hose of information for people. And at the end they hear, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll call you if I want to hire you. And the person walks away going, this person mustn't have any money, but it's actually because they did it wrong. So for me, networking actually what there's a different type of networking that I look at called strategic networking, which 90% of the success of networking in my world happens before you even go in the room. Now, for net for introverts that are listening, that means that when you begrudgingly 
decide that perhaps because you lost a job or you lost a client, that you have to go networking. You don't just book any event, try to avoid thinking about it until 30 minutes before you have to go and then get that reminder and try to talk yourself out of going and then eventually get there and go, oh, there's no one here. I, oh, they're that person I know. And then talk to the person that you know already, which is not what networking is about, right? We need to foster a new relationship, but that's what networking looks for people. What I suggest is that it all is about planning. So firstly, you need to know who your ideal employers are. You need to know who your ideal customers are. You need to go to networking events where they hang out. So if you're a PR agency, your ideal client does not reside at the PR agency meetup. So you have to make sure that you go to the right events. You also need to know how to articulate your value when somebody asks and you need to learn how to articulate stories so that instead of overwhelming people, you're actually you know, educating people through story, which is scientifically proven to, to yield better results. But make it about them first. Ask them questions. Make sure that you show interest. And by the way, 90% of networking events these days, uh, literally, you, know, you can find them on meetup.com. You can find them on Facebook, which means you can even research all the people that are going, pick out who you want to talk to, foster relationship with them before you even go. So when you go, it feels like a bunch of pre-planned meetings as opposed to an off-the-cuff networking event. There are so many things you can do to plan, prepare, so that when you get there, it's easy. The problem is most people treat networking like door-to-door -door sales, and of course that's uncomfortable for them. So what does introverted networking look like? So we've, you know, I've done my research, I've decided who are the right people to reach out to. And now I'm face to face. It's the moment. What do I do differently because I'm an introvert? And how is that going to help me succeed? Perfect. So firstly, you should have a planned way of having a dialogue, right? So, I mean, th there are lots of networking books that talk about being interest interested rather than interesting. So as soon as you get chatting with somebody, the first thing that I would always recommend is actually ask them questions about themselves. Now, you know, a lot of people think, oh, but I've got no value to add. Well, that's not true. I mean, I've got some of my biggest connections in the world right now are people like Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI. And I mean, Ivan literally helps me just because I am so delighted to be connected with him because of the stories of how he's, you know, BNI had helped my family in the past and also because he's excited about certain things and I get excited for him. So some of the things you can add is just being excited for someone. If you meet someone at a networking event and you're really, you know, and you get talking and they just had something happen, be excited for them. Ask them questions, empathize. Introverts are amazing listeners. They're amazingly empathetic. And if you make it all about them at a, at a certain point, they will go, oh my gosh, Matthew, I can't believe it. I haven't even asked you what it is that you do. And then all of a sudden it will transition. Now, if at that point I then say I'm a sales trainer because I was so nice and polite beforehand, they're probably not going to say, oh, I worked with someone that was a scam artist before. They might be thinking it though, which means I'm still not going to get any business. But what I have guaranteed is they've commoditized me. They've put me in this bucket and they've decided they either want to work with me or they don't, or they need me or they don't. So what I suggest is using what I call a unified message. Now, I'll give you an example. I mean, what the one thing that I always would suggest is the one thing you don't want to be selling when you're talking about when you go networking is insurance. I had a, a person that came to me once and he said, Matt, 
whenever I go to networking, I sell insurance and they ask me what I do. And I, I tell them I, I sell insurance and it's like their eyes scream. It's like their brain is like, you know, how do I get away from this person now? Like, I don't want to be sold insurance. So what do I do to transition that more effectively? So what I said is, well, for me, everything around networking comes down to passion. So I want to understand because if people, I mean, these days, everyone's talking about what they do. They talk about it from such a practical and detailed perspective. I said, so tell me what you're passionate about. Why did you get into insurance? And he said, well, I just really like to help people. I said, okay, let's go a little bit deeper. Do you like to help people that perhaps are earning $50,000 a year? Or what about people that make 250? He's like, well, clearly the 250 because those people can buy more insurance. I'm like, that's not really passion, Nick. That's really, I want to work with you because I want to buy a new Bentley. So that's not really what customers want to hear when, when, or feel when you're speaking to them. So let's go a little bit deeper. Let's talk about the person that studied hard at high school to get into Harvard, that got you know ducks of the class in Harvard and ends up the C-level executive in this billion dollar company, and they make about 250000 a year versus the person that dropped out of high school, but started up their own business, hired all these people, and now they have a successful business, they're making 250,000 a year. Which one of those would you like to help more? And he said, well, obviously the business owner. I said, why obviously? He said, well, I had this grandfather who spent all this time saving up to buy a farm. He then built the farm, he hired all these people, he looked after them, but he never prioritized himself. And then years later, he got sick and he actually had to sell the farm to pay for his medical issues and the fact that he couldn't work, he couldn't support the farm. He said, the last 10 years of my grandfather's life, I just watched him literally die in this small apartment in front of the TV. He said, I'm just determined never to let anyone else have to live that fate. I said, so why would it be that you don't just go into networking events and why don't we, instead of calling you insurance person when somebody asks, why don't we call you the hustle lifeguard? Now that's gonna give people a brain aneurysm when you say it because they can't put you in any box. So they're like, what exactly is that? And then you'll respond by talking about your passion and mission for helping people like your grandfather. And then you'll tell your grandfather's story or someone else like your grandfather who didn't prioritize and lucky because of what you did because of this situation that occurred later. And you're so glad that you were able to be part of that and to be able to help them in an effective way. Now he just goes to events and calls himself the hustle lifeguard. And people are like, oh my gosh, what exactly is that? They feel his passion and his mission and his story of his grandfather and the other clients they've helped. People are like, I, I, don't, I don't run my own business, but I wanna hire you because I don't trust insurance people, but I really feel like there's value in what you offer. It's why when I go to networking events, you know, if I was to call myself a marketing specialist or you know, a business coach or a sales trainer, people would be like, oh, that sounds nice, but you know, I, I, don't, I don't need that or how much do you cost? And now we're talking about price. Now I say I'm the rapid growth guy and people ask me, oh, what's that? And then I talk about my passion for helping the introverted service provider get out of that hamster wheel of finding interested prospects, setting themselves apart and making the sale. The simplicity of that message is what gets you heard in a crowded marketplace, face-to-face -face or online. Fascinating. So in case you're just tuning in, uh, this is Help Wanted on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jody Foster, along with my co-host, Sean Burke. And today we're talking with Matthew Pollard, author of the new book, the Introvert's Edge to Networking, working, Work the Room, Leverage Social Media, Develop Powerful Connections. Sean, I know you, you had a question. I do, Matthew. It's so, it's so great to have you back. Jody and I were talking just before we started about how we both got the book and we were sharing it with others. And I got a question that's related to follow-up from the first session, but let me ask you this, uh, this more relevant question of what we've just been talking about. I think that 
uh, I'm hopeful that in 2022, at least, we will be back to perhaps what we would call the old normal, and we'll have conferences and meetings where people can get together in person, and you will have to walk into that room. What about in the present, though, when conferences and meetings seem like they're all virtual? How do you do networking in those sessions? And I'll admit, I have, haven't even been to one of these big conferences in a virtual session, so I'm not really sure what it's like. It, it's so much more fun for us introverts, by the way. So when it's it's funny, everyone keeps talking about going to the go going back to the old normal. I'm not entirely certain as an introvert, I want to go back to the old normal. I mean, I, I speak at a bunch of events. I mean, last week I did five keynotes and the entire commitment of my time was a little bit of technology set up, the hour and a half keynote. I was I was home for lunch. I never get to do that. I'm in South Dakota or I'm in California. So I'm not entirely certain I want to go back to the new normal, uh, the old normal. But what I will say is that networking, again, the reason why I like face-to-face networking events is it forces you, well, firstly, you go out and you actually engage in networking. But what I suggest, and you know, in my book, I give like a full script of what you should say. Now, by the way, the word script scares people because they worried about not being authentic. What I will tell you is think back to your favorite movie. Last client I had, you know, he loved um, Gangs of New York was the movie he watched. And I'm like, Leonardo DiCaprio, wasn't he just amazing in that? He's like, yeah, he just embodied the part. I'm like, you know, he's reading from a script, right? What's the difference? The difference is learning and practice so you don't sound like that robotic tally marketer. Also, the goal is that introverts, because we listen really well, because we empathize really well, that's a positive. The bad thing is we get stuck in our head trying to work out what to say. So if we already know what we're going to say, because we listen and empathize well, we'll be able to attach what they've said, what we've heard and what we've felt directly to what what we were already planning to say, which makes it incredibly relevant, which allows us to be more present in the room. Now, why that's powerful is because it, it, the, the focal point of in a face-to-face networking event is it creates the ability for us to instantly validate over and over and over again. So we can walk from one person to the next to the next and we get their direct feedback. Now, in the virtual world, especially when you're doing things like networking on LinkedIn through voice memos, through messaging, through comments, it's, it's a little bit harder to get that instant validation. Exactly. However... Most people don't realize that there are a ton of conferences that are going on that provide virtual networking roulette in the back. There's another online event called Lunch Club. Uh, There's another one called uh, Run the World, which are all these events that allow you to catch up with people during your lunch break and get to know people. So you can still create that instant validation. BNI, BX, EO, they all offer virtual networking right now in this environment. So at the moment, what a lot of people are saying, oh, is it impossible to network these days? What I'm hearing is most people have spent no time researching ways to network in a virtual environment. And because of that, they've resorted to the things that they do know, which is spamming people on LinkedIn, which is the last thing I would ever advise that people do. <laughs> yeah, oh. a really good answer. Jody, go ahead. I'm 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 so I'm I'm really impressed um, again by your approach, but I also notice that it requires a fair amount of investment by the uh, introvert business person. You, you're essentially asking people to do a real deep introspection. I mean, asking people to kind of uh, uh, encapsulate and grab onto their passion—that's that's not really the easiest piece of homework. For everybody, and and my question is, do you do you find that people are are able to to do this with 
with ease or are you, do you ever get into, into situations where people just are like, I don't know what my passion is, Matthew. I, I don't, I don't know how to grab hold of this. So I don't know how to get to that anecdote. That's going to make, make my authenticity so clear. I mean, this is, this is, I'm, I'm just like, I'm saying it's, this is a hard piece of homework. Oh, it absolutely is. And it should be too. But do you know what drives me nuts? So many people, I mean, one of the things I say all the time is I can create a rapid growth business out of anything, but there's nothing worse than a rapid growth business with customers you can't stand in a business you don't like. And there's nothing worse than a really successful career with a boss you don't like in an industry you can't stand. So the fact that people inherit their goals from their mother, their father, their, oh my gosh, their drunk roommate, they just hear these things like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And they charge in that direction and they never think it through. In my mind, I'm like, just stop for a second. If you don't truly know what you want and more importantly, why you want it, what are you even doing it for? I mean, there are a whole bunch of ways. I mean, I, I can tell you, there was a time that I want a really quite substantial award in Melbourne, Australia, went home and I was miserable because I was making so much money. But if this is what success looked like, you could keep it. I didn't want it. Now, Jim Carrey has this famous quote where he talks about, Jim Carrey's a famous comedian for those people that don't know him well, but he has this famous quote when he won this award at his, at his university. And he said, my father was a really funny man. He could have been a famous comedian. He said he decided to take the safe choice though, the practical choice and become an accountant instead. Many years later, his father was laid off and the family had to do what they could to survive. And there's a whole backstory about how, you know, Jim Carrey had to actually be a janitor at his own high school to help the family pay the bills. He said, I learned a great deal from my father, but nothing more important than you can fail at what you don't want. So why not take a chance at what you love? What's interesting though, is so many people have never even asked themselves the question. So what I find is it's actually not as hard as people make out. The problem is people don't know what questions to ask themselves. So the suggestion that I always say is this thing that you're holding in your, your hand most of the time, the thing you can't let go of, you know, that cell phone, put it away. Ask yourself the questions, take my book away or write down the questions on a notepad and take it away. I don't suggest that it takes months of work. What I suggest is the whole, the, the whole homework of my book, I suggest can take hours for those people that are really connected to themselves or days if they're not that connected to themselves and, and then building out the entire strategy. Now, think about how hard it is for those people that don't know these things. If you don't know what you're passionate about, you can't build your message, you can't figure out the stories, and you can't speak passionately at a networking event. So we need to connect you with that. What blows me away is that most people go, what am I truly passionate about? Oh, let me go and ask someone else, like in seconds, or what am I really passionate about? Oh, I just got an email. I just got a text message. Let me check that, right? No one spends time truly stopping and thinking anymore. So my suggestion is it's not hard. You're just not thinking. What you've got to do is stop and say, these are the questions I'm gonna answer. Let me take my notepad out with me for half a day and just really write down those answers and truly think, stop and think. My belief is you'll find it easy, but think about how painful it is not to know. Firstly, you could spend 30 years trying to get somewhere that makes you miserable. Secondly, if you go to networking events and you haven't crafted this strategy out, then you'll go to events feeling uncomfortable. How much money do we spend going to events? How much time? How much mental anxiety? How much stress? And we get nothing out of them. So many people say, oh, networking doesn't work. Well, it does work. You're just doing it wrong, but you haven't practiced. You haven't strategized. You haven't done the homework. So you're going to spend a lifetime failing at networking. What? Because you won't do a few days work? The work doesn't stop when you leave university, when you leave high school, when you stop your certifications. 
you have a few more days outside the scope of your functional skill to truly understand how to get to do what you love and get paid amazingly well to do it for the rest of your life. And that's what my book really focuses on. So Matthew, it's it's terrific. And I've got a question here, which I think is a pretty good follow-up to that discussion. So suppose you've got an introvert who's really gone through that process, has made the investment to determine what it is she is passionate about, has arrived in the right place and has put in the time to learn the strategies narrative-based education, practiced uh, the networking and the client relationships. How do you, um, what do you tell that person about when it's going to get easier? And also, so two questions really, how do you tell that person when it's going to get easier, when the amount of work they're going to need to do to prepare for each encounter lessens a little bit so that the load is more manageable? And also, I think when someone's gone through that process, they're making a huge investment in their own networking. And so the stakes are higher in a way with every encounter and the rebukes might sting a little more, or maybe not just rebukes, but the, but the, uh, the failures might sting a little more. How do you keep them um, buoyant and ready to go back in when, when they may sort of uh, be a little more emotionally upset about, about, a, about a missed encounter? Well, what's actually interesting is it's actually less emotionally tolling, not more, because <laughs> If you're an introvert and you're having a conversation organically with somebody and it goes poorly, that's a pure rejection of you and your personality, which feels terrible. On the opposite, on the flip of the coin, if you have a system that you've practiced, then introverts are great at treating that like a science experiment. So like, okay, that part didn't work, this part worked. And all of a sudden it's a rejection on the system, not yourself. All of a sudden that stops being more mentally tolling. It feels comfortable, it feels easy. The second thing is, when does it become easier? Well, the first thing is when you've done this strategy work, you'll actually find you're you're 10,000 times better than everyone else in the room. So it gets easier the first time you walk into the networking room. I I used to love the movie Groundhog Day because he replayed every, and every day he got better at running the same day. To everyone else, it felt organic. To them, to him, it was, he was going through the motions. So it gets easier straight away because my suggestion is you you plan it out, you then practice it, you then practice it with family or friends before you ever go into the networking room. So instead of searching for what to say, you know what to say. But here's the interesting thing. Once you go to the first networking event, you're like, oh my gosh, that worked. Who would have thought that it actually worked? And then the next time you go in confident with a well-practiced system. And then what you find is three or four networking events in, you don't even have to practice before you go. You just have to research who's going to be there and what hooks you're going to use to chat with them, which takes minutes. And all of a sudden you get an amazingly different outcome. So it gets easier much quicker. The difference is people find, people see action as moving forward. Sometimes strategic planning allows people to, even though it's no action for a few days, it's transformative for all the action you put in after that. So I just suggest people stop for a few days and then they'll slingshot forward. It's such, it's such a great answer, Matthew. And I, by the way, I love the movie Groundhog Day. One of the lessons of that movie is that he tries out these different approaches and many of them fail. And then about two thirds of the way through the movie, there's an approach that really seems to work and it comes very close, but it gets broken up just at the end. He goes back and tries that in a way that's too rehearsed and it fails completely. And he has to sort of learn both from the practice and be more of himself, be more natural. It's a, it's a really good, I like that frame you gave it, which is that treat it like a science experiment. A rejection or, or a rebuke is not a rebuke of you. It's just an, an indication you need to recalibrate your approach. 
Well, I will say this. So Bill Murray is actually an introvert. Most people don't know that, right? He's kind of that organic character, but he's an introvert. But what I will say is that the thing that introverts need to realize is being extroverted does or behaving extroverted is not the key to success, but also being overly rehearsed means is also again not natural so you have to be dynamic if you just follow the script no matter what happens it comes across as overly rehearsed so what an introvert needs to realize is the the system is a framework the system is so you're not searching in your head for what to say but you need to channel your i mean introverted strengths planning and preparation be ready for when you go empathize and listen I mean, we have that in spades. And if you attach that to the system, you don't come across as overly rehearsed. A well-planned system where you listen and you empathize should mean that every person that you speak to should feel they're having such an organic conversation and the best conversation they've ever had with someone at networking with somebody that truly cares. It just happens to always go in the direction that you plan because you're well rehearsed and practiced to get there. Right. Oh, you know, once ahead, once again, Matthew, a really sensible, kind of really emotionally intelligent, depthful, smart approach to this conundrum. And again, I can't wait to read the whole book. And I think uh, it's it's going to be another grand slam. So thank you so much for coming back on the show. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 